Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, we look at the Ontario budget. What's in it? NDP finance critic Sandy Shaw will offer her commentary. And Finance Minister Vic Fidelli answers some concerns as well. And also, how did the items in the budget get decided? It's all coming up. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Let's get started with uh, what happened at Queen's Park. Uh, some surprises in the budget, frankly. I, I, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, we'll start off our coverage today with uh, Global News uh, Queen's Park correspondent Travis Danraj, who filed this report. Deep program cuts were expected, but if you actually believe the government's numbers, they've increased spending by about $5 billion compared to the last Liberal budget. There was some trimming, however. The budget for social services is going down by $367 million this year. Environment slashed from $983 million to $631. Indigenous affairs from $146 million to just $74.4 million. And student assistance spending reduced from $2 billion to just $1.4. Uh, that's a, a thumbnail sketch. There's a lot more to this, obviously, and a lot of analysis that's going to take place. And uh, to start off our coverage today, we are pleased to welcome uh, to the program Matthew Stewart, an economist with the Conference Board of Canada. Matthew, thank you so much. Uh, glad you could join us today. Are you there? Yep, uh, thanks ah, for having me. There we it. go. Okay, fine. Uh, we missed our connection here. Uh, let me ask you right off the top. Uh, I'm just kind of trying to absorb some of the feedback that we're hearing on this. Uh, given the propensity with which uh, Ford and, and Vic Fidelity, for that matter, uh, were hammering away at the deficit uh, that the uh, previous government had run up, are you surprised that they've taken a rather passive approach to addressing that? Uh, you know, what did surprise me is the, the stark challenge uh, facing Ontario over the next five years. Uh, you know, it, there's a lot of news that uh, they haven't had actual cuts, um, but it's still a huge challenge. They want to hold health or hold total spending to just 1% a year. That's uh, pretty much identical to the uh, Mike Harris years uh, many years ago. And how? Let, let's talk about how that's going to roll out. I mean, what we heard yesterday from Mr. Fidelli, of course, is the game plan. Uh, how they're going to implement that is something else altogether different. It's one thing to say, okay, we're going to keep spending down. But I guess the question all of us are going to ask, okay, well, what departments are going to be impacted by that and how it's going to affect us? Yeah, absolutely. The one that struck me the most with health, was health care. Uh, they plan to hold health care spending to less than inflation over the next five years. Uh, that's pretty much unheard of, and it's in the face of an aging population, uh, which is driving up growth and already creating uh, large queues and wait times uh, in the healthcare system. Well, and, and therein lies the problem. I know that uh, the, the way that he phrased it yesterday was, okay, and we're going to talk to the minister, by the way, in just a few minutes, uh, that they're actually saying we're going to increase spending. But if it's below the rate of inflation, uh, in other words, uh, hospitals are going to have to make some tough decisions here, but vis-a-vis staffing, services, and a number of different things, maybe even bed closures, like not unlike what we had back in the mid-1990s. Yeah, absolutely. So healthcare spending is supposed to be less than uh, the rate of inflation. And keep in mind that you've also got population growth, uh, an aging population. Uh, the share of the population over 65 is growing by about uh, 4% a year. So that's increasing demand in the healthcare system. So this, this won't be an easy uh, plan by any means. When there are austerity measures such as this, Matthew, and we've seen this this play before, obviously. You mentioned about the Harris years, but other governments have tried to do the same sort of thing, federal and provincial governments. Uh, it seems as if there's a, a, almost a, a list that they go down, uh, and, and environment uh, spending is going to be down. Uh, money for student assistance is going to be spent down. Social assistance is going to be reduced. Uh, they, these seem to be the, the easy targets, uh, and the ones that actually the, the conservative, uh, I mean small-c conservative governments tend to, to target when they're getting into something like this. And they've done the same thing to, uh, with this budget, haven't they? 
Yeah, well, health and education combined uh, are about 60% of the budget. So they, they have to address uh, those two categories if they're going to cut spending. Um, but they really focused on social services where that, that's going to see an outright decline over the next five years. Uh, and and that's a double whammy, obviously, because they've talked about uh, the, the you know the scrapping it wasn't in the budget yesterday, but they've already scrapped, of course, the uh, the, the the fair wage project that was in play here, the the pilot project anyway. Uh, they've canceled the uh, the minimum wage increase that was supposed to happen this year too. So, uh, uh, people that are are trying to make ends meet and having some difficulty doing that are going to find this uh, not a very uh, comfortable comforting rather budget. Yeah, that's true. And, but it's clear that they had to do something. Uh, the deficit had risen to you know, almost $12 billion. The debt was 40% of GDP. That's double where it was a decade ago. Uh, so it's clear that they had to make some adjustments. But it, you know, whether they're actually able to follow through on this plan, uh, you know, that's unclear. They still don't have a lot of details. And the Liberals tried to hold health care spending for many years, and, and it was always a challenge, uh, which they didn't quite succeed to meet their plan. Where do we go uh, with with the, the education? Let's talk a little bit about that, if we could, for a couple of minutes, because it's been a very contentious portfolio uh, long before the budget was introduced yesterday, of course, with some of the changes that they have made. Uh, and, and it seems as if the mantra here, I know the mantra that the government wants us to believe is we're putting people first, uh, but the mantra, the, the undercurrent and the message yesterday seemed to be, look at everybody, you're just going to have to learn to, to do what you're doing right now, but with a lot less money. Yeah, absolutely. So they, they plan to hold education spending to less than 1% a year. That's well below the rate of inflation. And the number of students are still growing. So it, it's going to mean real cuts on a per-student basis. Uh, and they're going to have to find uh, ways to find efficiency gains and hold wages uh, basically flat over the next five years. Well, part of that, obviously, we know about the, the number of, uh, well, we get into staffing, okay, because the, a number of teachers' are, positions are going to lose their jobs. Now, I'm not so sure uh, the ministry tells us that nobody's actually going to f- get fired, but as they retire or whatever is going to happen uh, through attrition, uh, they're not going to be replaced. Uh, but it seems almost uh, incongruous, though, when you look at an education system that's trying to get people ready for the 21st century global economy, that we're uh, actually going to be kind of taking a step back. This is kind of like the 1960s approach to education. Yeah, absolutely. We know that, uh, you know, one of the biggest challenges is the skills shortage across Ontario, that, uh, you know, we have very tight labor markets, but uh, companies are having difficulty finding qualified staff and high-skilled workers, uh, and investing in education is certainly important to address address this. And, you know, this, this is going to be an extremely tight budget uh, where there isn't going to be a lot of room for, for much extras. Uh, the one word that got mentioned more than most other key words in this budget yesterday was alcohol. Uh, this, was that surprising? They, they, they seem to spend an inordinate amount of time uh, f- f- taking up a, a, a number of different initiatives about, about where we can drink alcohol, how often we can drink alcohol. Uh, it, it's kind of unusual to see that in a, in a budget, especially given some of the, the terse times that we seem to be facing. Well, you know, I, I like to think of it as there was almost no money available. You know, they had an 11, almost $12 billion deficit. Uh, they didn't have any room for uh, spending increases, so they had to, you know, it's not surprising they tried to come up with things that were free, that uh, they could make, you know, announce with a, a lot of fanfare that weren't going to cost them anything. So I think that's why we had had these announcements. You know, one of the other things that we were looking for was around uh, business investment. Uh, you know, business investment has been one of the, uh, very done very poorly in Ontario over the last couple of years, as companies are, are not investing in Ontario. And so they, they did try and spend a little bit on, on increasing the capital consumption and encouraging investment in Ontario. Uh, whether that's enough to have much of an impact, uh, you know, I'm not so sure. But there's supposed to be a 1% cut in corporate taxes, and they didn't do that yesterday. Uh, that's right. So they, they, but they did follow through on the, the capital consumption uh, acceleration, which uh, should encourage uh, an increase in, in investment. 
although the federal government announced a similar program uh, in the fiscal update, and it has had almost no impact on the willingness of corporations to increase uh, investment in Ontario so far. Through the uh, election campaign last year, and I guess even through the mini-budget, the economic uh, update that uh, Mr. Fidelity gave us late last year, uh, there were a couple of topics that uh, that they seemed to be harping on at a, at a pretty consistent level. Uh, one of them was to, to lower hydro rates. Uh, another was about uh, housing and affordable housing. Uh, nothing about either one of those yesterday in the budget. That surprise you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And one of the things, we do a survey of CEOs across uh, across Ontario, and they've been complaining consistently that uh, high hydro rates are, are affecting their willingness to invest in Canada, especially when they compare their operations in the United States. Uh, just 30% of them say it's a good time to invest in Ontario right now, which is you know, back where it was in 2008. And hydro was one of the key reasons for that. Now, they did talk about hydro, but they didn't announce any, uh, any changes at all that's going to address that uh, so far. What what are you hearing for when you when you do these surveys, Matthew? When you you talk to the business community, I mean, these are the people that we are hoping are going to be creating the jobs of the future, uh, and, and obviously there's got to be a certain confidence level with the government and the, with the way the economy is going right now. Is there, is there a sense of nervousness now about what's going on, or are they going to be pleased with what they heard yesterday? Uh, I don't think there was enough to really change the the tone uh, for businesses. Now we've, like I said, we survey uh, large businesses and investment in. Uh, the willingness to invest in Ontario is as low as it's been since the 2008 recession. Uh, we have to do, if we're going to increase economic growth in Ontario, uh, we have to do something to address that. And I don't think uh, there was any room for the government to make uh, large measures for that. Uh, and, you know, part of the reason for this unwillingness is, you know, the President Trump's announced uh, very large tax cuts, and it, it's made it uh, much more attractive to invest in operations in the U.S. compared to, to what we see in Ontario. And and they're paying an economic price for that. I mean, it's great to know that there's jobs being created down there, but, I mean, their deficit is, is going out of control as well, and there's some concern about that. But there's another impact that, that, that again, didn't get discussed, and it's almost like the elephant in the room uh, that uh, we are looking at right now, and I guess everybody right across North America is looking at, is is the concern about an economic downturn. Uh, we, you know, we've had a couple of shaky quarters right now. Uh, there's a, I'm not suggesting we're going to get back into the recession as we did back in 08 or 09, but there's some concern about that. What would that do, to, given our, our very tough economic situation here in Ontario right now? Are we at the edge of a cliff here? Well, so economic growth uh, in Ontario has averaged about 2.5% over the last five years. Uh, already we're looking at growth at only about one and a half over the next five or the next couple of years. So we're, we're definitely seeing a slowing of growth, and, and there's a, a large amount of risk uh, for a downturn. You know, while we don't expect any kind of recession right now, there is some there's some risk brewing from a trade war between uh, U.S. and China. There's a large amount of household debt. Uh, we've got uh, housing markets uh, slowing. Uh, all of these things could could turn uh, or push Ontario into a downturn in which we'd see uh, ballooning deficits um, and a much worse fiscal situation. But in that climate, though, the concern, I guess, Matthew, is is how are you going to attract that kind of outside investment that, you, that we were talking about and the finance minister was talking about? It seems to us as if the environment isn't really, and I mean the business environment, uh, isn't really conducive to that kind of investment right now. Yeah, I think that's the, the big concern for, you know, for Ontario is over the last couple of years, the consumers have been driving uh, economic growth in Ontario uh, as they've been spending away from their spending from the wealth uh, created by their housing uh, sector. Um, that's not happening anymore. So we have to look to a better trade performance, which means better business investment. And we don't see any kind of environment and, and willingness of corporations to invest in their, their operations, better machinery and equipment. And if we want to see stronger growth uh, in the face of an aging population, we have to find ways to attract business investment. 
unfortunately, there just isn't a lot of fiscal room to uh, make the changes to encourage uh, a turnaround in investment. I guess adding to that frustration and the concern is is the fact that well, you know, the the, the new well, the new NAFTA is. I guess I don't even know which acronym we're going to use for it because it's a different one on which side of the border you're on. But the fact that that's still hanging there, that hasn't been concluded yet, that hasn't been signed yet, uh, there's there's a lot of uncertainty right now. Giving, and well, we just know the Prime Minister met with the head of Stelco. And the steel industry is kind of on pins and needles right now, too, because of the tariff situation. It's a, it's a rather unpleasant business environment here in this province right now. Yeah, absolutely. So it, what we're hearing is that uh, the new NAFTA deal, um, whatever you want to call it, uh, is unlikely to be signed anytime soon. I think that creates some uncertainty. Uh, a lot of companies invest in Canada because of the guarantee to market access to the U.S. Uh, anytime there's a threat to that, uh, you don't want to invest in Canada. You want to invest in your operations in, in the U.S. So that, that's been another factor holding back uh, business investment in, in Canada and Ontario particularly. Some governments, uh, and, and it started, I guess, uh, you know, with the, the Ray government back in the mid-1990s, but I mean, we've seen even the Harper government uh, during those recession years, uh, when they saw economic downturns like that, uh, basically tried to spend their way out of it. A, a huge, huge amounts of money went into big deficits in, in a way to do that. Uh, this government's is, uh, apparently taking a different tact here. This is basically just kind of holding on to the reins here and just say, it's going to be a rough ride, uh, but we're going to get through this, but we're not going to be throwing a whole lot of money around. Uh, well, they didn't have the money to throw around. So the, the debt-to-GDP ratio is one of the key measures that uh, we look at uh, for fiscal sustainability. It's already 40% of the overall economy in Ontario. Uh, that puts it at the second highest of any province uh, in Canada next to Newfoundland. Uh, it's clear that they had to do something to address the, def- the debt. They just don't have the fiscal room uh, if Ontario goes into a downturn um, to increase spending at all. Well, if that should happen, what does that do to their projections then? Uh, well... There's no doubt that that would have a pretty stark impact on the projections. Uh, you know, we don't see a, a substantial recession uh, in the cards yet, um, but there are a lot of risks. Uh, but there's no doubt that it would boost, you know, things like social services, uh, while at the same time hitting revenues pretty hard. So uh, any kind of major downturn uh, would affect these. That's why they have to act quickly and, and create the fiscal room in case that there's a downturn. It's uh, interesting to see just how they're going to approach this, and we're going to continue with our coverage on this in just a couple of minutes with uh, some more perspectives on this. Matthew, thank you as always. I appreciate your input into this today. Uh, thank you for having me. That's uh, Matthew Stewart, of course, uh, from the Conference Board of Canada, an economist there. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We continue with our coverage of uh, the Ontario budget that uh, was uh, released yesterday afternoon at 4 o'clock at Queen's Park. Uh, just a couple of moments from now, uh, the Finance Minister, uh, Vic Fidelli, will join us here on the program and give us uh, his read on that. We'll also get some opposition reaction to the budget yesterday. And uh, the Honorable uh, Peter Bethlenthalvi is going to join us, too. He's uh, the President of the Treasury Board. He was in Hamilton today uh, speaking to the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce uh, and giving his analysis of the budget and how it's going to roll out. Treasury Board, of course, is the, the agency that's essentially in charge of implementing this. I mean, you know, the Finance Minister comes out and says, here's the plan. And then it's uh, kind of thrown onto their desk and said, okay, now make this work. So that should be an interesting discussion. That'll be just after 10 o'clock. Uh, the, speaking of the Chamber of Commerce, the Ontario Chamber of Commerce weighed in on this too. The, uh, the president of the Ontario Chamber, Rocco Rossi, uh, for all intents and purposes, gives this budget a thumbs up. There's still some very significant strategic investments being made in um, skills development, which is a critical issue for all of our members. Uh, also in infrastructure and expanding broadband access, we we can't uh, support an economy of the 21st century on dial-up. 
Uh, anyway, I, those are just a couple of the things that obviously caught the ear of the uh, Ontario Chamber of Commerce. So we'll talk with the Hamilton Chamber and get some reaction from them in, in just a little while as well as we continue with our analysis of what happened. And, and, and therein lies the concern. Uh, and I know the opposition uh, members brought this up yesterday uh, in the post-budget analysis, uh, that the, there seemed to be an emphasis, uh, not just uh, in the last couple of months since this government's been in power, but uh, frankly, uh, you know, even leading them to the election last June, uh, about certain what they consider to be priorities. One, of course, being the deficit uh, and the de- and the debt, of course, in this province, uh, which uh, was always alarming and a very big concern, I think, to everybody. And uh, there's a concern here that they maybe didn't spend as much as they or should have addressed uh, with that. The other two are the what used to be, and I guess probably in our minds, you and me as taxpayers, the two sacred cows here, those are education and health care. I mean, you talk to any 10 people anywhere in this province right now and say, what's the most important issue for you? And nine times out of 10, it's going to be health care. And uh, we all know that that was also one of the more contentious items uh, that was discussed during the election campaign, and they've continued to talk about that. Uh, the people in the industry, the healthcare industry, are, are very concerned about this budget and what it's going to be doing for them. And we'll talk to the minister about that in a couple of minutes and try to get some read as to exactly what's happening and how this is going to happen. Uh, the, they have allocated money for it. But uh, as we heard from, uh, from uh, Matthew Stewart from the Conference Board of Canada just a few minutes ago, it, uh, it's, it's less than the rate of inflation, which basically means, you know, here we've got a, a situation where they're going to be asked to do more with less money. And we've been down this road before. We've had to do this dance in the past. And uh, it, it's, it's frustrating for the, the administration of, of hospitals because then all of a sudden the burden is on them to start trying to find a way that they can do less with less money. And that usually means, well, it could be bed closures, could be staff reductions. I mean, there some very unpalatable things that could happen as a result of that. Uh, now, that's that's the rollout. That's 24 hours after the budget's uh, spoken of, and we'll have to find out just how they're going to do this, because obviously the um, I'm sure the administrators of uh, Hamilton Health Sciences, for instance, here in Hamilton and St. Joe's, are uh, sharpening their pencils right now to try to figure out exactly how they're going to be able to handle this stuff. And uh, there are a few other issues that we want to get into as well with the budget uh, that are considered to be priorities uh, for just about everybody, I guess, who is involved in this and uh, the, the, the quality of life issues that have come up. And we have heard some of these discussions in the past uh, because, obviously, some of these uh, policies that were included in the budget uh, were leaked out and, and, and you know, given to us a, a couple of months ago, really. When we look at some of the uh, the aspects of uh, the healthcare budgets that are going to be doing, especially the education budget as well, and uh, those are some areas that uh, a number of people are, are going to be concerned about. Uh, I mean, just trying to get our ducks in a row here as we uh, go through the program here to try to get uh, an idea as to actually who's going to be doing what. Are we going to go with the uh, the opposition reaction to this first? Okay, let me uh, let me bring Sandy Shaw into the discussion. Then she's the finance critic, of course, for the opposition for the Ontario NDP, joining us uh, on the Bill Kelly Show to uh, give us their reaction to this. Hi, Sandy, how are you doing this morning? I'm good, Bill. How are you? Good. Your read on what you heard yesterday? Well, my read on this is this is a budget that is going to really hurt people. I mean, it's not a good news budget in any regard. There there are significant cuts across all ministries. So this is a budget that's going to continue. You know, taking away. Things from families, you know, people in Hamilton that they've we've already seen the Ford government do in this short term in office. You know, they've taken away lots of things that people were expecting or could rely on, and so 
you know, this is really a budget that's going to be really uh, mean, mean real, really uh, deep cuts to people, and it's going to impact people's lives. Well, as I was just mentioning before you joined us, I think the two elements that just about everybody is concerned about here, and they're the two priorities just about every government, is health care and education. Uh, and basically what the, the government's doing here is saying you're going to have to do less, uh, more actually, with less money. Uh, you know, there's there's going to be concerns with students. There's going to be pressure on students. There's going to be concerns uh, on universities, uh, post-secondary. We've talked to all the people in those administrations. Uh, that I don't think they heard anything yesterday to reassure them. No, it's not a good news budget at all for our health care system. And, you know, we know that our health care system is sort of hanging on by a thread. It's only being kept together by the frontline workers that are holding that together. And this budget, no, no matter how the, the uh, uh, conservatives try to spin it, it's an increase in our health care system that's less than inflation. And, in fact, most economists say that the health care inflation rate is about 5.6%, not just regular inflation. So it's, not even, it's, it's a below-inflation increase. And, um, you know, we've underfunded health care uh, over the years already. I mean, we already spend the lowest per capita on health care spending in Ontario than, it, than all across Canada. And, you know, you've mentioned it. Uh, there's people that work in the sector that are concerned, like the Ontario Hospital Association. I mean, they were asking for about, I think, $656 million increase uh, just so that they could uh, prevent staff reductions and layoffs. And so this budget doesn't come anywhere close to addressing the crisis that we have in health care. Are you surprised by that? Because they, they made health care a big issue during the election campaign, and they've talked about it since then, too. You would have thought it would have been a focus of, 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 of trying to shore things up in that, in that regard. I'm really surprised by that, and as you know, and this is the thing that people people want health care when they need it most. We all have our our stories about uh, you know going to emerge. I was in emerge with my father not that long ago at St. Joe's. I was actually there during what they had as a code silver event, and I see the the absolute overcrowding. There were seven ambulances lined up at the time, um, you know, in, in the St. Joe's um, you know emerge, and so. Why aren't they doing this to the budget? It's a huge question mark. I think that all of Ontario, including the people of Hamilton, really need to be paying attention to what this government is doing with health care. So there's a bill before the House that they say is going to transform health care in a you know biggest transformation since Tommy Douglas invented universal health care. And there's really some concerning things in the way that they're going about uh, fixing health care. So I'm just wondering whether that that you know they're they're holding off on funding health care adequately because they've got some other plans that I think also will be detrimental to health care. Well, we've seen this dance before, uh, you know, mm-hmm. during the Harris years when they cut money out of health care like this. And, and essentially, basically, they, they're saying to the hospitals, well, it's, all, it's your problem now. And, and we exactly. saw bed closures. We saw layoffs. We, ho- we saw hospitals close in, in yep. some senses, thankfully not in this particular area. But, I mean, that's, that's the kind of pressure that they're going to be under here. Exactly. And we saw, you know, I think it was six or 7,000 nurses were laid off during Mike Harris year. And I, I'm actually concerned, as I sit in the legislature, that they're really just taking, a, you know, the pages out of Mike Harris's playbook. And we know that privatization, the focus on privatization and cuts uh, is not something that did work well for Ontario at all. But, you know, I just wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, we are looking at very real job losses here, you know. And so when you cut Spending in, in, in budget in, in, in all the different levels as they are, that results in job loss. And so how in, how in any regard are we going to grow the GDP or grow the economy when people are being laid off? And so I, it just seems like a wrong-headed way uh, for this government to go about trying to address the debt and the deficit, which is something that needs to be looked at but not 
not doing it in a way that really hurts people in Ontario and in Hamilton. There's, there's a lot to be uh, to be filled in here, a lot of the blanks to be filled in. I mean, there's uh, some issues here about daycare. I know that they've talked about creating daycare spaces. There's a subsidy there for families. I'm not so sure that's going to help them on a weekly basis. Uh, but they talk about uh, creating a billion dollars over the next five years for uh, 30,000 new day child care spaces. I'm not quite sure how they're going to do that. Uh, so the devil's going to be in the details, I guess, here. Certainly. I, I, you know what? I want to say that all the time. There's a lot of devil <laughs> in this in this budget, and you know the, 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 what they're talking, proposing uh, to address childcare is not going to bring any relief to families that are paying exorbitant amounts for daycare if they can even find a daycare space. So you know, even infant daycare can cost up to twenty thousand dollars a year, which is unaffordable for most families, and. Really, this is the the amounts that they're announcing. While it may bring a small bit of relief for families that you know do happen to have daycare, it doesn't in any way address uh, making sure that we're controlling daycare fees. I mean, they're not talking about ensuring that these are not for profit uh, public you know, not for profit daycare spaces. They're not talking about the fact that in this uh, recent bill that they passed, they've allowed um, uh, really they've they've allowed the number of kids under the age of two in home care to be doubled. And so who's to say if, whether these are going to be safe uh, daycare spaces, never mind quality daycare spaces, and it really does nothing to help alleviate the pressure that families feel trying to um, access affordable daycare. Sandy Shaw, the uh, finance critic for the Ontario NDP and, uh, of course, the uh, loyal opposition. Uh, Sandy, thanks mm -hmm. as always. I know we'll talk more a lot, uh, more about this in the upcoming days and weeks. Appreciate your time today, though. Thanks, Bill. You take care. Okay, listen, let's uh, try to get some of the answers that uh, that Sandy was just talking about and raising as questions here. And uh, to that end, we're pleased to welcome uh, Vic Fideli, the Minister of Finance, who delivered the budget yesterday afternoon at Queen's Park. Mr. Minister, thanks uh, for joining us on a very busy day today. Appreciate the time. Great to be here, Bill. Listen, Vic, just uh, before you joined us, I was talking with uh, Matt Stewart from the uh, the Conference Board of Canada, uh, and he was talking about your approach to deficits and to the, to the provincial debt here. And, and given the fact that that seemed to be a common theme through the election campaign and since you've been in government, uh, they're kind of scratching their heads that you seem to, well, he, I think the phrase he used was almost a passive approach to this as opposed to the more aggressive approach that I think everybody was expecting. Well, uh, the Premier wants relief brought to families right away, and we wanted to protect what matters most, and that's health care, education, and the core public services. Uh, all of that ensures that we have the funding for the future. So our path to balance over five years is a responsible way to do this. And quite frankly, uh, it eliminates the deficit in a thoughtful, a measured approach, but it really transforms government. I hope we can get a chance to talk about what we mean by transformation of government and reinventing how government works. Well, define that for us then, Vic. What are you talking about there? Well, a lot of it is to do with modernization and digitization. So, so I can give you an, a, a specific example. Right now, uh, you can go to Service Ontario for your certain uh, items. You will now be able to do them online. You can get your driver's license online. You can get your uh, vehicle registration, your health card online. That is going to save $33.5 million. And so that's what the uh, Premier is talking about, finding efficiency. That's transforming how we work. It's modernizing it and bringing us into the digital age. And that goes right across every single ministry. And so we're, the Premier said we're going to save $0.04 cents on every dollar. We've actually been able to find, over the five years, past the balance, almost $0.08 cents on every dollar spent. 
by investing smarter, spending smarter, and basically reinventing the way we work, Bill. One of the other elements that uh, I know the opposition parties have been hammering about uh, over the last uh, 18 hours or so is is, is the health care field. And again, I, I know that you talked about that during the campaign, and the, the premiers made mention of trying to end hallway medicine. Uh, there is money for health care there, as, as you outlined yesterday, but it's less than the rate of inflation, which basically means that you're telling hospitals now that you're going to have to do a lot more, but you're going to do it with less money. Well, no. Uh, the fact is, when you digitize and you modernize and you do the same as we're doing in, in the uh, government bureaucracy by finding those efficiencies, that uh, those savings can then be turned back into uh, frontline services, whether it's more nurses or law enforcement, that type of thing. Uh, in hospitals, we're spending $384 million more on hospitals, $267 million more on home care. $1.75 billion for 15,000 new long-term care beds uh, and fi- and to upgrade 15,000 beds. When you take those people, I, I, live, in, uh, I live in the riding of Nipissing, mm-hmm. and we had a long-term care facility close, and sadly, uh, the residents ended up being put in the North Bay Regional Health Centre, our local hospital. Well, that has created hospital uh, uh, overcrowding, hallway health care, and huge costs. When we build these 15,000 new spots and 60, almost 7,000 of them have been announced and are underway, that will alleviate so much of the pressure on the hospitals that will affect their budget. So it's, it's spending smarter. It's, so they, you know, they need to grasp the idea that this is transforming government. We're going to take 15,000 people and put them in uh, long-term care facilities. We're also, you know, to help with hallway health care, $90 million is being spent on low-income dental, uh, uh, low-income senior dental program. Uh, so many seniors that can't afford their dental care end up in the emergency rooms. This will alleviate the uh, trouble in the hospital. So this is how we're reducing the, the pressure on these hospitals. Vic, I, I know that your time is tight here. They've got a minute left here before we have to jump in. Yeah. Uh, but you also mentioned about universities yesterday, and of course that's been rather contentious. I know that the, there was a, uh, an announcement a few weeks ago about reducing uh, the, the tuition fees for students, and universities are concerned about uh, the, uh, the revenue that's going to be lost as a result of that. But you talked about funding for universities on a performance basis. Uh, yeah. and, and maybe you could just outline exactly what you mean. I mean, obviously we've got McMaster here in Hamilton, you've got U of T, you've got your, uh, you know, Western in London. Uh, these are usually and have been for the last 10 or 12 years ranked as, as some of the best universities in the world, not just in Ontario. It, I, do you have a concern about performance level in our universities? Well, we know that, uh, we know that there's still more, to work, uh, more work to do in the universities. Um, and Sorry about that. Uh, we know that there's more... We know that there's far more work to do in the universities, and we're looking for them to take a phased-in approach so that we're going to tie their money uh, uh, to performance, and it'll be gradually increased over time. Uh, and, you know, it'll be reevaluated every year, but we're looking for them to meet and discuss those key performance indicators. And, and so really uh, it's an opportunity for the universities who, per- who don't perform uh, optimally to be able to uh, reevaluate each year and try to do better. Busy day today, and uh, I, I know you've got probably another 30 or 40 interviews to do before noontime today, so I'll let you go. I, I know we'll talk more about this in the days and weeks ahead. Thanks so much for this. 
Thanks. Much appreciated. That's uh, the finance minister, of course, uh, Vic Fidelli. Uh, by the way, his uh, cabinet colleague, uh, Peter Bethlenfeld, is going to join us just after 10 o'clock this morning. He's in town today talking to the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce, and we'll get his read on that. Uh, by the way, uh, Mayor Eisenberger's already weighed in on this, too, as I'm sure you've heard, uh, and basically giving this budget a thumbs up because the money for LIT was, well, re-announced, obviously, the billion dollars. Uh, but to that end, uh, interesting email here from Alexa says, okay, so our mayor thinks it's good news that the original funding for the LRT is referenced in the new budget. What about the information we all received a couple of months ago that the actual cost is probably more in the line of $1.7 billion? And why do we keep overlooking what that whopping difference is, especially since it's been made perfectly clear to us that the shortfall will be shouldered by the property tax base here in the Hammer? Uh, good point, good question, and certainly something that we're going to talk to the mayor about when we get a hold of him and he can give us uh, his reaction and his shakedown on, on the budgets going. Uh, the billion dollars, I'm not so sure, is going to go as far as we had thought it was going to go three or four years ago when this original announcement was made. And that is something that uh, the city council and the mayor are going to have to keep in mind. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Well, we want to continue with our analysis of uh, yesterday's provincial budget. Uh, and, and get some ideas to exactly how this is going to work out and how this uh, budget was actually put together. And uh, to that end, uh, we want to talk with the president of the Treasury Board now. Uh, and, and we're so pleased to do this this morning because he's uh, in town here just uh, having addressed the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. I know Hamilton uh, Mayor Fred Eisenberger was there. And uh, we're pleased to welcome uh, the Honorable Peter Bethel Falvey to the Bill Kelly Show on CHML to, br- to bring us up to speed on this. Uh, Peter, thank you so much for the time on a busy day. Glad you could join us today. My pleasure to be here, Bill. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, structure, if we could, for a second. For those, who, I, I'll give a ten-second civics lesson here, uh, who may not know exactly uh, what the, you do at the Treasury Board. But essentially, uh, you're in charge of government control, spending, uh, you know, approving labor agreements, workforce planning, things like this. In other words, they pretty much after they put this thing together, Peter, they throw it on your desk and say, "Here, now make this work." That, that's in <laughs> essence sort of what you do, isn't it? Well, actually, uh, they uh, we do that beforehand. So all yeah. the uh, all the numbers in the budget, both for program spending and for capital spending, have to be approved by the Treasury Board. So every minister comes forward and says, "This is what I want to do in healthcare. This is what I want to do in education." And the Treasury Board, which is a bunch of cabinet ministers, I chair it. Vic Fidelli, the finance minister, is vice chair, and six out of the cabinet ministers go through it line by line and and give the green light or not. Now, I'll give you a chicken and egg question here. Uh, do you, when these ministers come forward and say, "Here's what we want to do," uh, do you give them a, a budget, a number there? Do you give them and say, "Well, this is all you're going to have," or do you look at this and see what they want and then make that allocation after the fact? In other words, are you evaluating what they're saying or simply saying, "No, this is the ceiling you've got. Now make that work." It's a great question. It's a bit of an iterative process, so it's a bit chicken and a bit egg, if there is such a thing. Um, so, you know, you, you have targets but uh, and you have ranges, but, but at the end of the day, the, all the expenditures have to work for the people. So you, you kind of have that discussion, a robust discussion. It, we've been working at this for months and months to come up with the budget yesterday. So it's a very iterative process, and, and, and I think we feel that we've come out in a really good place in every ministry and collectively as a government. How do you decide on priorities when you're having those meetings? Uh, because obviously not everybody's going to get everything they want, and at some point you're going to have to decide, all right, this is going to be first, this is going to be second. And I, I assume it's obviously a decision not just made by you, but by, by everybody around the table. Well, it starts, it starts in the campaign, and it's, it's a great question. You, know, it's, uh, you have to have a frame, and the frame really is a couple of things. Um, you know, what's, 
what's good for the for the people and you know what what's good for the citizens what's good for the patient and you you start there and then we made a campaign commitment that we would do that put the people first um but you also look at things that, which was part of our campaign affordability you know um so that was a big kind of uh framework to look at it uh you look at you know what's good for jobs and for business um you put that frame on it as well and then finally the this restoring trust and accountability. How can we do this in a way that's really credible and protects those uh, services that matter most to Ontarians in a in a fiscally you know responsible and sustainable way? So you kind of have a framework to do it, and then you you go from there. Let's talk about some of the issues that uh, have come up since uh, Mr. Fidelli uh, introduced the budget yesterday. We just talked to Vic a few minutes ago here in the program uh, to get some read as to how things are going, and we've heard from opposition members. I'm sure you've seen some of the stuff as well in the media over the last uh, few hours about this. Uh, the two issues, talk to any 10 people on the street in downtown Hamilton or Toronto or anywhere else, Peter, and they're, they're going to say health care and education. Those those are the, always the big issues for provincial governments, especially here in Ontario. Uh, and the, the, the institutions, the people in those institutions have raised some concerns about how you're approaching those. And I, I want to do them separately. We'll, we'll start with the education component of this uh, and university funding, which is a, a concern. Uh, and and as, as the Mr. Fidel explained to us, apparently this is going to be done on a, what he called a performance basis. What exactly does that mean? And, and what are you looking for from universities? Well, I, I think start, starting first, you know, we cut uh, tuition by 10%. So, uh, you know, that that's a big relief for students and families. Um, we redesigned the OSAP so that uh, families uh, making $50,000 or less get uh, 82% of the grants, uh, up from 76%. And we've given more choice to students and families uh, on the services they get when, when enrolling in university. But going forward, uh, the Minister of uh, Training Colleges and Universities is going to tie... Uh, more uh, uh, the funding to to outputs, and she's going to consult with um, with all the stakeholders. And, and uh, what a concept! Uh, saying you know, agreeing with uh, together with the universities, colleges, etc. These are the things that matter, and um, we're going to measure against the success of those. So, so that's that's really what that's about. And I think that's what you do in business, and probably you do in your own personal lives. So the that's, the that's, criticism, that's of course, that that we've heard about that is that you're making universities compete against one another for for tax dollars now. Um, well, I I come from a from a whole career in the business community, which is all about competition. But I think a little uh, competition is healthy. They compete for students. Um, you know, one of the, you know, so so you know, a little competition is healthy, and any I, I would say also that universities and colleges are unique in a lot of ways. So, you know, consulting with the various universities and colleges, they they'll find they'll they'll have great ideas, and uh, we'll do it in a collaborative way and a consultative way. But we've got, I, I guess, what some people are concerned about here is: Are we already there? I mean, uh, as I was saying to Mr. Fidelli, I mean, you know, the three universities that that I can kind of talk about here, you know, Hamilton's McMaster, obviously U of T, uh, Western University, uh, where our, our kids went to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are consistently in the top fifty universities in the world. I mean, we've, we've already set a pretty high standard here in Ontario. Uh, are you concerned that uh, about uh, about what they're, they're turning out, about uh, whether these people are, are ready to to you know be competitive in a global economy? Is that the concern? Well, I would say no one wants to be complacent, and those are great universities that you mentioned. We've got great universities and colleges around the province, so you just want to be complacent. But, uh, you know, you also uh, want to you know, produce the uh, the best, I mean, it's mutual interest, uh, best students with the right skills uh, for the jobs of tomorrow, and, and the economy is transforming dr- drastically. So we just want to work together. 
uh, our minister is going to consult them, like we're doing on a lot of other files. We're we're consulting, but we're we're acting. And I mean, the, the budget is ripe with so much uh, poor investments in the education system, um, and we're supporting uh, you know the healthcare system. We'll get into that, I'm sure, but. Um, you know, we want to move forward. We want to look through the windshield, not in the rearview mirror. Let's uh, let's talk about the the post or the secondary school first of all. And and again, uh, you know, the announcements made by the, uh, the education minister a few weeks ago uh, about finding efficiencies within the system and and the elimination of teaching positions essentially. And I understand it's supposed to be done through attrition, but uh, uh, we're hearing from associations, uh, boards of education are very concerned about this right now. Uh, I mentioned that one of your responsibilities, uh, Peter, of course, is uh, is labor agreements. Uh, this are you heading down to uh, to a confrontational uh, situation here with teachers because of what's obviously going to be happening in the in the weeks and months ahead? Well, we did. You're right. We did announce cons- uh, consultations, and uh, they start on Monday. And, and uh, you know, my experience, you, you know, you always bring people around the table. We get the best ideas, and that's how you get get to a place that works for everybody. Uh, I think what uh, what we've heard from parents. Uh, we consulted, uh, the minister got 72,000 responses from parents and teachers and students that, uh, among other things, math scores. Uh, we need more tools to promote, support the teachers on, on improving the math scores. I mean, uh, one of the big challenges, and I'm sure the, uh, I'm sure the teachers are, are, uh, are focused on this is that the grade three uh, math scores have dropped over the last 10 years by almost 9%. The, the math scores at the failure rate has gone up by about 14% grade six so we, we definitely I'm, I'm a numbers guy i know how important math is whether it's arts or science or technology or financial literacy um so we want to we want to help uh, and we're provided in the budget more supports for teachers and, and math uh, training and skills um we're going to expand the curriculum to focus more on things like uh, science and technology um financial literacy will be a core thing and the skilled trades which we we feel that there's a shortage we're going to support that area as well the changes. So I, I think we're investing um, heavily in the students and the teachers, and it's all very positive. What about curriculum? Uh, I, I've heard about, you know, obviously staffing and, and things of this nature. We're going to have larger classrooms right now. If there's a concern, and more students in those classrooms, I mean, uh, there's, there's a concern here, though, about curriculum. And that's what I'm hearing from some of the teachers. That, listen, if they're concerned about scores, for instance, the math scores, maybe there should be an analysis of exactly what they're teaching, not who's teaching it. Uh, you know, well, a couple of things. First off, I want to correct uh, for a lot of your listeners. Uh, you know, the class sizes uh, from grade uh, from kindergarten to grade three are not changing at all. No, no, that's yeah, that's They're, the senior grades that we're yeah, talking and, about there. And, and well, four, four to eight is is going up to uh, up possibly one. I don't think we're going to go from a world class system to a disaster from kindergarten to grade eight by that change. So we're really talking about secondary uh, students here, and we're investing uh, in the new curriculum and expanding the curriculum because we need to make sure that the good supports are there for the teachers and in the curriculum to uh, to have, uh, you know, coding. Let's take coding and technology. Um, you know, the, the huge demand for that type of skill, uh, that's going to be expanded in the curriculum. Um, you know, the technology, big data, et cetera. Uh, there'll be more choices, and uh, and as I said, on the math side, which is kind of the nuclear core of of good, a good education, uh, along with reading and writing, um, will help uh, provide supports there, so that uh, you can kind of flame into, fan into these different areas, 
So the curriculum expansion, is a, we, th- we think, is a big positive for the students and for the future. It's uh, going to be interesting to see just how those uh, discussions go with uh, the unions uh, as you move forward on this. Let's, let's, i got a couple of minutes left here. Let's get into the healthcare realm, if we could, just for a second. I guess the bottom line concern, Peter, for the, what I hear from the hospital associations here, and obviously we're going to hear from unions, I'm, t- I'm sure, as well, is that there is money for health care, especially for hospitals, but it's less than the rate of inflation. Now, with your business background, you know that that's going to put an inordinate amount of pressure on these facilities to try to do more with less money. Well, let's, uh, let's unpack that. For, on the positive side, um, the types of programs, $17 billion we announced for capital grants for, over 10 years for, for new hospitals and the repairs, uh, $1.75 billion, 15,000 new long-term care beds, um, one and a half billion investment in emergency services, and another 384 million in new hospital beds. Because we got to fix hallway healthcare, and we got to fix the long-term care. How are we going to fund this? That's a great question. I'm in charge, among other things, uh, of things like centralized procurement. That's a new initiative. We are looking to find, of which healthcare is a big part of it, uh, over one billion dollars of savings within five years, just do it by doing bulk buying and making. Uh, buying things. Uh, government buys both directly and indirectly a $30 billion worth of goods every year. Just by streamlining that, we're going to find over a billion dollars. That's not going to be with one job cut, uh, and, and we'll be able to plow that back into the things I just mentioned. So, you know, you go into government, there's over a million uh, people. There's, uh, there's a lot we can uh, do more efficiently, operational efficiencies. The previous government you know, really didn't have that focus. And so those are the savings that are going to help fund health care and education. The, the fear, of course, is uh, we went through this in the, in the 1990s with that government and, and, and the pressure on hospitals. There were, there were bed closures as a result, which is clearly not what we need here. I mean, that we have to spend money more efficiently. I, I agree with you. I don't think you just throw money at health care and say, here, that, that should fix it. Uh, it's a matter of spending the money wisely. But uh, again, the concern here is how is this going to roll out at, at frontline services? And there's some concern about staffing levels about number of beds, apparently, especially in primary care facilities like hospitals. Yeah, and as I said, we're investing over a quarter billion dollars, three hundred eighty-four million dollars in new hospital beds, um, the long-term care beds. There's a massive deficit. You know, you wonder where where the previous government was. I mean, there's an aging population. It's math um, that, that's growing. You've got to have those facilities. You have to plan ahead, and so. You know, we're putting our, our money where our mouth is on those 15,000 long-term care beds over the next 15 years. That'll free up beds in hospitals because a lot of people are in those hospital beds are people who need a long-term care facility and a long-term care bed. So we got to look down the road a little bit, and that's what this uh, this budget is doing in the health care system. And our minister, Elliot, is uh, really looking at all these aspects and integrating it all around the patient, um, using technology, using local communities to uh, to deliver these services in a more integrated way around the patient. Quick question about uh, something that was, again, a very contentious issue back in the in the 1990s, and that was downloading of services onto the municipal tax base. Uh, now, you're, you're in charge, basically, of the civil servants and the way things are going to be run through the government here. Uh, is is that even on the table right now, or the, or t- to try to reduce your cost of, of doing that sort of so that reversal that, uh, that the government did? I, I know they, they uploaded the education cost. That was supposed to be the quid pro quo but for many municipalities, it didn't work out that way. Uh, so I, I guess to reassure municipal governments here in Hamilton, Toronto, or everywhere else, is, is that an issue that's still being discussed to try to reduce government spending, or are you just going to shelve that one for now? 
No, we've, uh, we've, we've, we're talking to municipal governments. Our minister is consulting on a range of issues, not least of which is the uh, regional uh, government uh, structure to see if we can do things more efficiently and better. But while consulting all the, all the municipalities, we put $200 million into uh, uh, four and a half, 405 municipalities uh, just a couple of weeks ago so that they could invest in modernizing and find efficiencies themselves. Um, we had over $500 million uh, for the Municipal Partnership Fund. So we're, we're supporting municipalities. Uh, we've supported, uh, you know, more uh, in Toronto and Ottawa, the guns and gangs. We put money in there. So we're supporting uh, both the small and the large municipalities, and we'll continue those consultations. And, uh, and uh, we're feeling that we're in the right direction there. We're hearing from municipalities on that. Peter, busy day. I, I thank you so much, first of all, showing up in town today for the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce meeting and for the mayor as well. And I appreciate your time on our program today. We'll stay in touch because as this rolls out over the next few weeks. Well, thank you, Bill, and it was great to be in Hamilton again. Thanks so much. Uh, of course, the Honorable Peter Bethlenfeli, who is the President of the Treasury Board, and uh, like I say, the implementation of a lot of the stuff is going to fall to he and his department over the next little while. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.